Hello friends, my name is Jude McGowan and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. So today my guest is Ross Lynette, the founder and CEO of Recite Me. He wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until after university, but he always struggled with mainstream schooling. The assistive technology he was given at uni to cope with his undiagnosed learning difficulties was frustrating. He really felt his disadvantage online with little resources to overcome his exclusion. He really needed something easy to use that he could personalize to help maximize his use of the internet. Thus, the idea for Recite Me was born. What is Recite Me? Well, it's a personalized toolbar. It's a solution for people with disabilities or learning difficulties to help them access and utilize the internet in the best way for them. You'll hear in the podcast that Ross is really driven by helping people with similar disabilities experiencing the same hardships as he did and offering them a solution, a way of them maximizing their potential. Ross really is driven by helping people to become the best version of themselves they can be. And that's what the toolbar is all about. He talks about it with great intelligence. He's very articulate. I loved how our dyslexias intersect with each other. The things that are similar about his dyslexia are very similar to mine. He's, uh, he's very funny. And I'm really, really excited about sharing this pod with you guys. So I hope you enjoy. All right. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Ross. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Very good. Surviving what's hopefully the the final straight of this lockdown. <laughs> We're going to get out of it soon. Yeah, we hope it's the last straight. It feels oddly, even though you know the the vaccine is obviously being rolled out. It feels like this is this is the hardest one yet. Yeah, a lot of people have said that actually. Uh, I've moved house in the time where. Oh wow! You know, in between the first lockdown and the second one, and got nearer the coast, which I think has helped, like being near the sea. But uh, yes, yeah, I think it's more fatigue with anything, which is an interesting yeah. thing actually. If you you can reflect on that on dyslexia as well, probably later on in the show, how like dyslexia can sometimes fatigue you. Absolutely. So, so whereabouts in the world are you? Because I sort of I do know that that bit of the world um, quite well because my cousins are all from uh, from not too far from Newcastle. Oh right, is that your favourite cousin? yes i suppose so well i've got four cousins from that part of the world so yeah of course i love them all equally yeah yeah i, I grew up in durham uh like that's uh, a lovely town uh, yeah about five miles out of the city center in a place called uh, stanley which is like an old mining town um and then i've spent most of me it's one of the good things about the northeast you know like because people from durham don't all like they they associate themselves from being from the northeast as opposed to like if somebody says to me where you're from I'll always say Newcastle if it's out, if I'm outside the area whereas yeah. I only lived in Newcastle for about three four years you know so yeah um, but yeah and then I, I now live in Whitley Bay that's beautiful lovely yeah and then uh, the office is on the Gateshead Quayside so you know I'm just looking to the right and looking at the Millennium Bridge now gorgeous. That's lovely. Well, there's there's something about Newcastle, isn't it? There's an energy to it um, that feels I don't know. Yeah, that, that that people feel a sense of belonging to it, even though they haven't, you know, spent um, their whole lives there. My mum went to university there, so she certainly feels a huge pull towards it as well. I've, I've been trying to work it out for many years. 
um, because I spend a lot of time out of the country. I used to live in California. Um, oh, lovely. And I've never wanted to leave the north northeast. There's times where I've went, like, you know, when, when certain people of the older generation has passed, that's been quite close to, and I thought, ah, oh, you know, is, is my links to the region leaving a little bit? But I've, I've never wanted to leave the region. And even though I could have spent my time in California, I, I just loved it here. And I often try to figure it out because I see it in other people. Um, mm. And we often say, you know, like if people move out the area, they always end up back. <laughs> like yeah. I've met so many businessmen, people that's moved out and said like, look, you know, I was determined to leave the Northeast and I was going to go and, you know, and, and, and soon as I had kids, I immediately wanted to be back home you know, so that's, that's fascinating. So you spent, you know, some glorious years in California with some amazing sun um, for something like 340 days of the year. And you decided, no, 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 no. The Northeast is where I need to, is where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I still love it. I mean, I think we're all, we're stuck in lockdown, so you can't enjoy it as much as what you could uh, in the past. But yeah, it's just, there's some, there's, there's, you're right. There's some energy about the place. And it's, you know, everybody's a bit of a comical genius as well. You know, like yeah. everybody's funny and everybody's a victim. Yeah. It, it's that sort of like, it doesn't matter who you are. If you do something stupid, you, you're going to get laughed at. You're going to, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. and you laugh along with the fact that, you know, if it was the other way around, you'd probably doing it to the other person as well. So. Completely, completely. You get a sense of that if, if, if anybody, you know, looks at uh, some of the uh, Recite Me YouTube clips of your sense of humor. That's, that's very Geordie, you know, I'm, Lots of people listen to this pod from all over the world, and there's a Geordie sense uh, sense of humour that that uh, comes out a lot um, watching your videos. Yeah, it's it's very self deprecating, um, you know, and and it's like life's not don't take life too serious, um, yes. sort of vibe. And we purposely wanted that sort of stance within the company because yeah. within within a lot of fields where there's a campaigning going on, whether it's dyslexia, it can get very serious. You know, and yeah. a person can complain a lot. And we're like, no, we're always going to take the lighter touch. We're always going to take the humorous touch. And we're always going to try and kind of encourage change or, or different ways of thinking through positivity. Yeah, you're completely right. There's a dryness uh, sometimes and it can feel a bit, uh, you know, um, too earnest sometimes. And I feel like certainly the dialogues I've seen you have with certain people, um, Forgive me. There was there was a, a lecturer, a university lecturer. You were you were having a, a dialogue with with Michael actually, uh, your assistant, mm -hmm. uh, which, which yeah. was great. Um, but again, you 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 were you were trying to bring as much humour into it as, as possible, which which I absolutely appreciate. You know. Yeah, and it, it goes. It probably goes down to my fundamental beliefs that you, you achieve a lot more through positivity. You know, and yeah. would I be sitting in the would I be sitting here with a company with forty employees between both of them? if I didn't apply positivity and it, yeah. if I did apply negativity and like, right, I can't really read that well. I can't really do it. You know, I'm not going to amount to anything, you know, will yeah. I still be here? And I think you've yeah. got to apply that across the campaign that we're trying to do is change awareness, change how people think, change how people see, change how businesses see dyslexia uh, and do it with a little humor. You know, if we can get there, we can all have a laugh and a few whiskeys. Yeah, that would certainly make uh, classrooms a lot more fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we need to do, right? Whiskey for dyslexic kids in the future. It might help them. <laughs> First, that's where Recite Me is moving. Whiskey's in the classroom. Tall bar. Well, 
Um, Actually, one, one of the things we do, do uh, a Friday, Friday, three o'clock, the company purchases beer, uh, whatever people want, and the staff drink from Friday afternoons, you know, have a, have oh, a couple of beers nice. before they leave. It's something I don't really partake in, actually. I don't tend to drink it Friday afternoons. Well, isn't that, I mean, did you find that, given that you are, the, of course, the, the founder and CEO of RecycleMe, did you find that you had to, you know, have uh, a level of detachment, you know, from, from your employees, as it were, you know, to, of responsibility? I've, yes, is, yes is the short answer, but I've tried to do it as finely as possible. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're going to create, like, the warm glow in the campaign, you've got to do it internally, you know, like, you know, charity starts at home first. So we are really kind of trying to take care of the staff and, and understand them personally and, um, you know, help them out in the personal lives where the company can, which we've done a lot for a lot of our employees, while yeah. trying to maintain that fine balance of, I am still the boss. <laughs> you still like, <laughs> maybe times when I tell you that you have to get the work done, if, you know. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a difficult balance, but I think, I think we find it quite well. Yeah. yeah. So I want to get into the meat of everything because there's there's so much I want to unpack with you with with how you um you deal with disability um mm-hmm. in, in in all its shades and, and colours and scales scales being a, uh-huh. a crucial word one you've used a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So if you could give us um, because you've done this beautifully a very um, succinct breakdown of what Respect Me does um, and 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 why it's such an exciting tool for people. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, if it's okay, I'll start with the history of how I invented it because it makes a lot more Please. sense on, on, on why it was done. I, yes. was, I was president of the student union at the time and um, I hadn't been diagnosed with dyslexia at this point. And, you know, classic dyslexic story. I was the person people used to come to for engineering, like, uh, tasks to help them. Uh, like, how do you do a certain equations for an exam, but these people used to co- commonly outperform me by about 20%, <laughs> so, which wasn't good. And I was like, well, how come I just showed Jeff how to do this, right? And then he's just beat us by 20%. How the hell does that happen? Yeah. But, so finish, graduate university, don't get a good degree, get a third class degree, um, go to be president of the student union. And then it, while I'm doing a presentation, I'm writing on the board and then somebody approaches me afterwards and says, my father, you know, specializes in dyslexia and you've got all the classic signs of somebody who's dyslexic you should get yourself tested so I thought you know I thought I was dyslexic when I was at school but the school teacher said no you're not don't be stupid um so I just kind of stopped thinking really but I've always kind of thought so so when got myself tested was dyslexic but in the middle of this we were doing uh we were involved in the disability discrimination act and like you know when it in its first guise and uh we the student movement at the time, when a lot, like a lot of things, we managed to get dwarfism in, included in it. Um, but it was very clear what their legislation was saying is that the shift of adjustments needs to be done by the organisation, not the individual. So in a cold light of day, you know, if you're going into a restaurant, it's not the person's responsibility to get them into the restaurant. It's the, it's the restaurant's responsibility to provide the ramp to allow the person to come in if that person had physical disabilities. Yeah. And when looking at this, being dyslexic, um, you know, nobody was really thinking about it. And I got software that installed on my computer that read out, you know, it was, you know, it changed my life. I could, you know, I, I could spend five times as long on a website 
reading it without getting kind of like that brain fuzziness, tiredness that you get. Um, yeah. And it changed my life when I was sitting in front of this one computer. But then I went to the library. It didn't have the software and I was back to square one. And then I went home and it didn't have the software and I was back to square one. Mm. And I was starting to think, and then, you know, the adjustment has to be made by the, by the company, not the individual. So these companies realistically should be providing all of these solutions, all of these functions. Yeah. And at that point, I think it was more thinking of like campaigning, like trying to get people to be aware. But then when I was involved in the students' union, uh, t- technically that the president's involved, like the, the chief exec, it turned over three million pound at the time. It was getting me to think business-wise, and I was like, "Is business realistically going to spend billions?" And I mean, it would be absolutely billions for each individual person to create the code. Like, you know, like Northumbria University would do all this accessibility code, then somebody else. And I says, "No, realistically, one one or a few providers need to write code that will allow a website, for example, to be read outside, read, read, read aloud." And then yeah. they can install and make their website dyslexia friendly, visual impairments friendly, and that's how it started. The concept, you know, behind behind why I got there and why I believed that accessibility functions should be integrated into a website, not just installed onto a computer. Yes, brilliant, absolutely. So, so from that, this this idea starts to form, yes. and then um, when does it become an actuality? So, so essentially. It's it's a toolbar. It's 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 a way of um, having something on your computer which can read something back to you um, if you're visually impaired or you're dyslexic or autistic or or any of the sliding scales of, of disabilities that people may have. Yes. When does it when does it become an actuality? So, I approached the director of uh, IT at Northumbria. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got an idea. What do you think? Expecting to be say, expecting them to say, because it was such an obvious idea, you know, like take text to speech, take background color, take you know dictionary definitions of words on websites, and you know, like and add them to the website themselves. And I thought somebody must have done it. So mm. I had this idea. I went to the director of IT at Northumbria University, a guy called Jed Woodhouse, and I said, you know, being present, what do you think of this idea? And he says it's amazing. I says, has it been done? He says, no, definitely not. And I was like, why hasn't somebody done this yet? And you often find sometimes the easiest ideas are often the last to think about. And the analogy mm. I always think, right, is that it took the auto industry nearly 75 years to figure out if you turn an engine off at traffic lights, you save power. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. like 75 yeah. years of some of the brightest minds in, in, in the world working in the auto industry. And it was like late 90s, early 2000s, they figured out, turn Turn your engine off at traffic lights automatically. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, we'll see if. Um, so we went about creating it um, and still thinking it was going to be one of those things that would just like would do as a side project. And then uh, we applied for a thing called the Difference Engine, which was one of the first tech accelerators in Europe. I think it was number two. Bearing in mind, there's thousands in the UK at the minute wow. currently. And it was the second one in Europe. And we got on and the rest is history. Amazing. And and for everybody who doesn't know, so it's it's the beauty of it is that you can access it on any machine at any time for any website and it's it's your aid and it's it's something which ideally you customize for yourself and, and for your 
um, disability, whatever shade or shape it might take. Um, and you've talked about this, which which I love is is potentially in the future this idea that um, labels like dyslexia may may not be the most useful thing because everyone's on a on a scale. No two dyslexics are the same. Um, mm-hmm. They might have similarities in terms of the things that they struggle with. You talk about that brain fuzziness. Yeah. But what this does is it it essentially it encourages individuality. So you empower people to who use it um, to to find out what works best for them. And I mean that's that's such exciting technology. Yeah, and it's all about the individual, and it's all about content customization. So apologies if I haven't went into the tool that much because we tend to try and like stay away from trying to make it like try and try and like make it sound like me i'm trying to sell my tool <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah 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 it's all about content customization it's all about the world it was created as individuals you know and it's two two pretty powerful statements right is what's right for you right with regards to accessing information whether that's reading whether it's listening to it whether that's you know what i mean like walking on a podcast is not the same necessarily for me uh, so yes. and we all have our individual needs a lot of people don't realize it so mm. every person has their own color combination. You know, you might have a you might have a red background and blue text. I mean, yeah, that would be a pretty bad combination with a hangover. But <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody has a different way, and it's with Resight. It's about recognizing each body, each and everybody's individual need, and allowing them to read and access the information and in, in what's right for them. So for me. You know, uh, a yellow background, blue text, actually. Uh, I read 25% faster and I read for a much longer period. You know, for somebody else, some people don't want to read it, so they just want to hover and listen to the text. Yeah. You know, it's 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 all about the individual. It is, completely. I mean, it's it fits into, you know, this idea of optimal performance. You know, that there's we set up these ideas, unfortunately, that, there's, that there is a normal. You know, there's a way to do things. And if you don't do it, you're you're somehow wrong, or there's something not right about you. Whereas this can essentially optimize everybody's performance um, better because they might not even demonstrate as dyslexic in any other way. But suddenly you throw the text onto a red, you know, red typeface with with a, a yellow background, and, and they can read quicker. Absolutely. And the amount of people that say I think I'm dyslexic, but I'll I'll never get tested, is phenomenal. So I, yeah. I think some people, some of those people are dyslexic, but some of those people just inherently recognize they're not thinking and absorbing information the same way as they see people around them. Yes. And this goes back to what you said before, you know, like the labels in the future, I think there's a good chance once we achieve what we're trying to achieve, the labels will disappear and you will just be somewhere on a scale. Now it's referenced as the neurodiversity scale and you could yeah. be, at one point, and I could be at another, and your individual needs are recognized by yourself through some tests, and then by technology that's installed on websites like Resite. Yeah, that's brilliant. So again, uh, listening to you talk, there's I get a great sense of the struggles that you felt when you were going yeah. to university, and, and I'm assuming before, is, is a major um, inspiration in terms of developing this technology. And you say, obviously, you, know, you, you, you were thinking of um, becoming a... a a campaigner and activist for it, but uh, that's an essential, essentially what this is. It's almost like a love letter to to people who uh, have struggled, and and you know that this tool can help them in a way that it's helped you. One hundred percent. You know, people 
People often think they don't fit in, but it's the world that hasn't adjusted properly to them. You know? Yes. So a lot of people that feel outcasted, they're not outcasts. They're just the world hasn't become intelligent enough to people's individual needs. Yeah. You know, and that will change and it is changing. You know, the things it's quite it's quite normal for me to say I'm dyslexic now and somebody to recognize what that means and they haven't been educated in this and help me with some adjustments and not see it as a negative. And that's yeah. been down to the great work by many campaigners over the last 10 to 15 years. But there's still people that will feel outcasted, you know, in, in all walks of life, not just, you know, with learning abilities. And yeah. it's the world that hasn't adjusted because we've been too narrow-minded on where people fit into on a, like, do you fit into a label? Do you fit into a group? And it's, it's, getting, that, it's getting that individuality across, you know, that'll free us all, you know. It absolutely will. I mean, I, again, I was, I was thinking about this while researching you uh, and, and what has become your life work is, is, mm-hmm. is helping people to, uh, the world be- to become more intelligent of these people. Uh-huh. You know, it's not just obviously people with learning disabilities, but it's sadly a reality of people who receive or have to receive help as a dyslexic. It's, it's quite, it's, it's expensive, you know, so yeah. invariably there are lots of children from low income households who are never diagnosed and struggle throughout their lives. Yeah. And they never get any help as a yeah. dyslexic. And then, of course, it's predominantly, it would be predominantly white, middle-class people who will get it. And yeah. I've found it a great struggle um, to get female guests for this for this pod because um, I feel like, you know, uh, women don't want to hold their hands up and say, not only am I a woman, but I, I also have a disability as well. And it's true. Which could be uh, misconstrued as being, a you know, something which an employer won't want in, in the workplace. There's, I mean, there's a parallels with like women's struggle within a workplace compared to like somebody with learning difficulties. And that might seem a weird comparison, but I'll try and explain it. You know, is that they've been, women have been disadvantaged because they haven't been treated as individuals. They've been treated as part of a group. Do you know what I mean? And they've been treated part of a group, which is, is a woman based on the fact that the dominant group is a man, you know, so it becomes almost tribal in the sense and, yeah. you know, a woman has to almost like justify herself as an individuality of her skills on top of the fact that she's, she's in this group that's disadvantaged, which is a woman. Yeah. Now, the same happens with disabilities um, is that, you know, you, you were part of this group. This, you know, this, the world hasn't recognized at the, the minute that you are an individual with individual needs. Therefore, you will struggle and women have that the same. So, you know, it's almost like two things, you know, dyslexia, you're struggling because you're not recognized as an individual for dyslexic and you, and you, like your dyslexia needs. And then you're not treated as an individual being female because you put into a group by a predominantly, you know, male dominated uh, society, you know? Yeah. So, completely. so I, I completely understand it. You're one of the first people to point that out to us, by the way. So, so it's like, you know, you, I think it's very, very insightful. Well, it's it's something, it's infuriating, and I'm sure it's infuriating for you because you think about how many Shakespeare's we may have lost. Um, Shakespeare was obviously incredibly lucky. He was a man, and he and he he came from a very, you know, um, mm-hmm. well, I, I forget what his dad did, but, but it, was, it was something middle class, and he could be sent to boarding school and, you know, learn Latin and all that kind of stuff. But how mm-hmm. many... How many writers has this country lost because they were they were poor or they couldn't get the support or uh-huh. they were black or they were they weren't white or they were a woman? Um, uh-huh. 
And I know there's this there's a bogus argument that people try and throw out that, you know, like if you're good enough, then you'll succeed. And I just I it's just not a, an argument that I buy because, you know, the the world, as you say, has been reinforced by this idea of a of a normal mind that that um learns in a in a set way. Um confidence and being good is not something that is always linked together. Right? And <laughs> yeah. and yeah. You know, if somebody says, if you will, if you are good, it will come true, doesn't necessarily marry if you haven't got the confidence in your own abilities. Now, yeah. the reason I'm very confident, and I always have been, you know, and you take knocks in life where you're not, we're all human. But it wasn't, it was down to my athletics past. You know, I was one of the fastest in the Northeast. Well, I was the fastest in the Northeast. You know, I used to be captain of the football team. And that gave me the confidence to fight through, like, you know, the disabilities that dyslexia presented. Now, yeah. if you're not confident because, you know, you, you may come from an ethnic minority, you may kind of like, you know, it's harder because you're female. If you're not carrying that confidence, you know, the good doesn't always shine through. Absolutely. I mean, it makes me think of that quote, you know, um, stupid people are very loud um, at the moment and, uh, and, and people who are intelligent uh, lack the confidence to speak up. Mm-hmm. We sort of live in that age. I mean, look, we've just yeah. seen uh, a president leave the uh, White House uh, who uh, who's, who's, has no end of confidence, um, but it's completely misplaced. He's got absolutely nothing to back it up. I, I, th- I think, yeah, I think we're... One thing to remember is that most life always tends to work in circles. So, you know, if you're going through a bad period, whether that's individually or whether that's, as a society, wait, because it tends to come around... And good people do tend to rise to the surface and rise to the challenge. But we are living in the in an age where YouTube <laughs> is ruling. <laughs> and, you know, it's misplaced confidence. And there's yes. two things that are very dangerous that I think individuals need to be careful of. And this is in life, right? This is, this is going slightly beyond dyslexia. One of them is self-righteousness, you know? Yeah. Like some yeah. of the worst acts that's happened, right, in the world, self-righteousness has always been at the centre. When you've got two opposing people in, in like sides in a war, right? You'll genuinely find that at the center of it, each side thinks self-righteously they're the right. They're yes. they're right. They're right. And that's happening and that's playing out in society at the minute. Is that people think they're right all of the time. And it's this clash we have of, you know, I'm right, therefore you can't be. And I think yeah. it, it, we're always, as individuals, because as individuals, we all make up society, we've always got to uh, kind of always think, you know, there's a good chance my views might be wrong, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's one of the greatest documentarian filmmakers uh, of our time, um, Adam Curtis. He's just about to release, um, I think, uh, a series, maybe on BBC. If you haven't seen his work, he is he's amazing. He's one of his documentaries, Hypernormalization, I think is on iPlayer still. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. But he talks about that very thing that um, he's well, with the with the series. He's he's effectively exploring that self righteousness, you know, and and really that whatever I whatever I'm feeling must be must be right. You know, that informs my worldview, and 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 all sense of goodness and right comes from from me and the worldview that I have, mm-hmm. and of course that you can now live in echo chambers which reinforce that it's true it's true i think uh maybe it's the the, the slight darker side of uh because everything always comes with two sides the, the slight darker side of the individuality 
that came into society when we broke away from a more community-based structure in the 70s and 80s uh, is how many people are pointing out that you're wrong if you're if you're very individualistic, you know? Yeah. And that's something that the education system, I think, needs to get a hold of. You know, one of the things I had to learn quite quickly as an adult is the ability to debate. Yeah. Um, and I did realise that people that come from privately educated, that it was part of their curriculum and they were incredibly good at it. Yeah. Uh, but part of, you know, the skill set of being able to debate has always been... Uh, always recognizing that you know your your position could be wrong and the person that's debating you could be better and he could be he could be right <laughs> so <laughs> that's good that's a good point of departure people do well to remember that you know i think there might be less less conflict certainly in this, these turbulent times that we've had the last five years it might do well for people to to look at that um i, I mean i i was watching just today earlier people have People might have seen it quite recently, but David Bowie talking in 1999 about mm -hmm. the potentiality of the the internet mm -hmm. um, with Jeremy Paxman, and it's mind blowing. Like some of the stuff he he predicts will happen with the internet, and he talks before that about mm -hmm. in the 70s and 60s that there was, um, so you know, um, there were commonly held things, you know, in a society, you know, every. Uh, Everyone had a basic grasp of what they believed was right and wrong. And that was shared amongst everybody. And then that fractures. And that's what you're talking about. That there are that there are like five truths or there are five layers to anything. You know, with any question, there are there are five potential answers. And and he was predicting that the internet essentially would 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 give rise to even further um uh sort of dualities and 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 and, and uh, answers. Which, which I thought was so fascinating. And he was saying, you know, that we're on the cusp, and this was in 1999, of, of the potentiality of the web, of the, of the internet, that it could, it's going to be terrifying and amazing in equal measure. And you just think, wow, that's, this is someone who can really look at the world in, in a fascinating way. David Bowie was, was an absolute visionary. I'd love to see if he, I, I, it's something I've never checked, but I'd love to see if there's any articles where he's questioned whether he is dyslexic. Because he, yeah. he always strikes us the way he talks as a dyslexic brain. But David Bowie's yeah. interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, his, his first fan website was coded by David Bowie himself. He really? used to, oh yeah, David Bowie used to call old school HTML when HTML was like the main thing, not like the server-side programming language we have now, like PHP. Uh, yeah. And he is quoted as saying, if I was to start again, I wouldn't get into music, I would get into the internet. Because <laughs> Bowie's, um, his driving force wasn't to be the best musician. His driving force was to change the world by being the, the best musician. So yeah. he was all about change. And he says if he yeah. could do it again now, he would do it using the internet. Well, that's what he's, he's saying in this interview. Is like He chose music because it was, it was irreverent and it was also a way of you know, being rebellious. Um, you know, back when you said, oh, I'll be a rock star in the 60s and people, you know, there'd be a, an intake of breath among some people they'd be so scandalised by it. Whereas, of course, now it's, um, and at that time in 1999, it was a, a way of making serious amounts of money. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does, he seems in this interview to be completely in awe of it, uh, the internet, as, as, a, as a tool. And I mean, one hopes it achieves exactly what you're, you try to achieve, which is that the world becomes more intelligent, um, uh, and aware of 
the intelligences plural of human mm-hmm. beings because you know we we believe now there are seven different types and and our uh, victorian style schooling that we still have in britain that only appeals to uh, one of those intelligences the and they're like 15% and and they they invariably end up rewarding intelligences like themselves with big mm-hmm. jobs so quite often they're banging their heads against the wall you know in, in boardrooms going why can't people think out of the box why can't people think in a different way mm-hmm. and they may well um, benefit from having a dyslexic brain in there um, to it's, talk about it. it. It's one of the presentations I've done in the past uh, is that dyslexias have an uncanny ability to uh, remember events. And mm. my brother's the same, actually, although he hasn't been diagnosed, but the guys have always said that we grew up with talking to you and your brother's like literally listening to a book. And <laughs> we can go back to our childhood experiences and tell you kind of like where we are, what people were wearing, yep. what we're saying, what we'd just done beforehand. And I'd always assumed that was normal. And I didn't realize that like most people don't have those memories. But completely. If you were if you were planning on taking a long-term strategy of having executives in your company for a long time, which I know a lot of a lot of other countries do, like Japanese companies, they encourage people to stay within a company for a long time. But if you had employees yeah. that had the dyslexic brain that could remember why things happened, that resource particularly at board level, is phenomenal. It's like, why did we make this decision six, seven years ago? And having an organization, having somebody within your organization that could tell you, like, why we did it, what the background was, you know, what what what, what is, is a phenomenal resource. I mean, like, absolutely gold dust. And it's not even looked for once. You know, like, nobody goes, right, get some dyslexics in, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and get, you know, it, it, it could be such an advantage, but we're still going after these, you know, what grades did you get in an exam? You know, and yeah. an exam is the most unnatural way of measuring intelligence, I find, personally. But Yes, because there's so many factors to it. Stress, um, preparedness, yeah. and, uh, and and then, of course, retention. You know, if, if we joke about it, you know, all the time. It's it, I don't think there's probably one british person who hasn't gone through the british school system who, who don't who don't say the words you know oh, i've never used arithmetic again or i've i've never used that again um yeah. you know after taking it for gcse it's true it's true and you you did you did make a very good point Re- retention right you yeah. know you, you can cram for a week beforehand and you can learn but is that knowledge still going to be inside your head in five years time some people yeah. it will be some people it won't yeah how just how practical is is that and uh, and i could see it as well they're infuriating people in my class I knew I'd have to work a hell of a lot harder than them for, for, for me to even pass the exam. And they mm-hmm. yeah. they could just, you know, what, smash out three weeks of revision and, mm-hmm. and get A's across the board. And you, and you, I just, again, I, did, I felt like a, an immense sense of pride at the grades I got because I knew how hard it was for me to, to sit and read and go over things and, and make the notes in, in, in a way I needed to. And, and the amount of paper I'd have to consume to make my notes because repetition's always been my friend, but I write and write and write and rewrite it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It almost felt like um, I'd have to be pushing it into my head in a very practical way. It, you know, I felt exhausted from revision, like it was, you know, like going for a run. Yeah, I feel your pain. And somebody says to me often, like, what is it like being a dyslexic? And I says, the, the, the best and the simplest way I can do it is that you ride a bike, you're always on flat, and I'm always riding up a hill. <laughs> you know, so I can get yeah. to the top of the hill, but I'm going to be more tired. I'm going to be more fatigued. I'm probably not going to go as far, you know. Um, and yeah. that's 
that was the best comparison I've had. Although I must say, when I got tested and found out the colour combination, that did take a lot of the fatigue away from reading, actually. That's so interesting. I love that. Well, I mean, I encourage everybody, everybody give it a go. Everybody listening, those who might suspect they're dyslexic or have uh, some form of um, learning disability to, to try, play around with colours, text and, and uh, the paper behind the words as well. In a general comment, anything you can do to optimise yourself. Uh, I follow a few guys like health uh, gurus, like a guy called Dave Asprey, who invented bulletproof coffee, if you've ever come across that. When oh, you put yes. Butter in. Yeah. Um, and he always says that if you optimise yourself, you often have a lot more energy for the other things in life. And that could be things like being a better husband, you know what I mean, yeah. being better father to your kids. You know, if you're not draining yourself, and if it's a quick optimization, like finding your background colours, so you, you leave that office and you've had to read all day because uh, you're reading maybe legal documents. And if you're reading and you're 10% better each time because of that colour combination, that 10% over 20 years, the way you interact with your family is going to be 10% less drained is going to be a lot better when you take that home, you see. so <clears throat> Yeah, I love that. I love the that sort of figure of eight you're setting up there. Um, I certainly feel better when um, when I when I exercise, I feel like I'm... It's not simply that, you know, it's it good for me. It's good for everybody around me because I'm more alert. Um, you know, I, I feel less stressed. Um, you know, the endorphins are going around. Uh, I feel mm. like I'm be, I can be more present. I mean, I, I did a, a 5K run before I before I did this pod. Um, not not because uh, uh, because I needed to de-stress, but just because that's how it worked today. But I certainly feel, mm. I feel certainly more ready for this conversation, which, which is wonderful. So, um out of all of my guests, I'd say uh, you're someone who actively um, deals with dyslexia every single day, not just in yourself, but in in uh, in your clients and uh, and and the people that you develop your software for. So it's 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 fascinating to have a dialogue, and I hope for for our listeners as well um, that's really been driven by dyslexic from the beginning. Because quite often I try and make this feel as organic as possible, and 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 talk about people's lives, and then and then we get into it. But what's what's great is that it's it's been. Um, it's been in everything we've talked about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm jealous that you've done 5K because I, I should have really... It's it's sunny up here, so I should have really done a run this morning myself. Yeah. Well, I'm um, I'm trying to do 100K in February. So Really? I do, wow. I do 5K five days a week. That will do it or, you know, however I break it up. Um, usually, that's not really my thing. I, I, I usually like to lift weights, but I thought, you know what? It's locked down. We'll, we'll, we'll try different things. Yeah, get out in the sunshine. Exactly. Um, so I want to talk about what your proudest moments have been on this journey. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there must be a few. It's really, it, it's, it's very, um, because like I've always been very determined. I'm always pushing myself. I don't sit back and and look at that often enough. But there has been a few occasions where, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that we've done is about building the team, and we. You know, because we're getting to the size where I'm not involved in all of the uh, interviews, but I come in and often do the last interview and figure out using the dyslexic skill of emotional intelligence, which tends to be very high in dyslexics. Is it, do I yes. fundamentally think this person is a nice person? Um, and that's predominantly how I'm judging people. Uh, not that, and that's not to say somebody who hasn't got into our company, I think they're a bad person because there could be many different reasons. In case anybody listens, to that. Uh, <laughs> But one of the, the the greatest pleasures has been like has been watching people grow and develop, you know, and like people. Some of the staff have families, 
you know, or somebody who's come in that's had a bad run at companies and lost the confidence. Same way as what a dyslexic would do within the education system. And then they've they've built themselves up to be like a really good salesperson or a very good coder. Uh, that that gives me a lot of pleasure. And that's, I, sometimes I stop and realize, you know, when somebody brings in the baby and you're thinking, God, like I remember when they started and look how well their life turned out. Um, and there's been a few, there's been a few things as well. Um, you know, when lockdown hit, seeing mm. the company, seeing the way we pulled together as a company was, was a very, very proud moment because we negotiated basically with like the board up to say, you know, we're going to take a risk and we're going to guarantee everybody's jobs. So people are not stressing because when lockdown first hit last year, you know, people were cutting the staff left, right and center. Yeah. And I felt that was the right thing to do. So, you know, we'll take that worry away from people and then yeah. seeing how people reacted and, you know, how we all decided to take a pay cut as a team to make sure that, like, we protected the jobs. Obviously, me being, me being at the top of the tree, I took the deepest pay cut. Um, and seeing, seeing that and seeing how we've come through it and seeing how, you know, we've pivoted to giving like COVID information out for free in a dyslexic friendly way because we, I did predict actually, I said, this is very serious information. At some point, somebody is going to have like some serious problems because they couldn't access the COVID information properly because they couldn't read it. It wasn't in the right language. So we, we pivoted at the start to like, instead of trying to sell the product to try to let as many organizations put their who hadn't bought Resight put their COVID pages uh, up for free with, with Resight enabled. Um, that was that was a proud moment, yeah, seeing all the team pull together and how we'd, you know, we'd, we'd done what was right. I love that. I'm, I'm thinking we must be quite similar in regards. Um, I, I can vividly recall things. Memories-wise, I'm calling back. This is again, I suppose, another classic dyslexic feature. I'm, I'm thinking naturally. I'm, I'm moving away to come back to our, to our subject, um, uh, and, uh, and, and I can recall things. You know, people will start vaguely remember things in my family. I'll say, no, 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 no. This is, this is how it happened. I mean, I know one can make an argument that all memory is a lie, and actually, you're recalling the emotion around the event. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm often convinced. I'm like, no, no, no. This is what happened. Um, you were wearing that, you said this, and I remember where you were standing when you said it. And then also emotional intelligence. Obviously, like, I've always thought, well, it's right that I'm an actor because um, I've I've always uh, empathised with people. Empathy is not something I I struggle for. Oftentimes, I'm I'm way too concerned with with how people are thinking about me (laughs) and what what they're thinking of me in that moment. And it's not my business to think of that. Have you you found being in lockdown has enhanced that? (laughs) Yeah, empathy for people, you know, the worry for different people and, you know. It has, it has. And then sometimes it's it's even uh, exhausting. It's it's overwhelming, you know, like, yeah. um, so I know people joke about being uh, Zoom fatigued, yeah. uh, but it, it was, it was distressing seeing people um, not in the way that I wanted to see them, but also to see them not happy. But here we yeah. are, you know, on, on this call and, you know, you'd rather... You didn't see them um, because it's so overwhelming, and you feel so much for them that you don't want to. Uh, you don't want to put yourself through it. It's true. Yeah, it's something people, and even this should be part of like some sort of education when 
you find out where you are within the scale is that if you are an empathetic character, it is going to be 90% positive and it's going to be 10% negative where you will feel very upset for other people, you know, because I've seen my family, you know, like struggle through lockdown and luckily nobody's passed away, but they've been in hospital and there's a few things happened and you think, whoa, this empathy that I have to try and help people, you know, it's, it's, it's making me feel worried, you know, in a way that, you know, worried in a way that like, you know, like I'm struggling sort of myself and there's nothing actually happened to me, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, there's always two sides to stuff like that. I find it interesting hearing somebody else's sort of account of it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I've found, oddly, I've found this time because nothing is ever one thing, you know. Nothing is ever wholly bad. Nothing is ever wholly good. Um, so there's, there's there's sometimes where I've enjoyed um, not having to do certain things, obviously living in London, commuting, spending, you know, God knows how much money on on the getting up into town. Um, yeah. I'd struggle with a commute then, in London. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. London's one of my favourite cities, but it's the waiting, you know, waiting at the for a train, waiting to get into the train station, you know. It's just the it's just the whole stop and start I struggle with in London. But it, yeah. London's one of my top cities. I think it's such a beautiful place. It is. I mean, it's, it's a city of, of such um, contrasts, you know, unlike loads of other major European cities. Uh, you can turn down one street and it'd be million pound houses and the next street, you know, it'd be, be council flats. Yeah. Whereas in, in Paris, you've got like, you know, the centre of Paris is where all the wealth is and then it sort of, you know, c- circles out, ripples out into these um, uh, massive estates, um, which if you're a football fan, which I, I'm guessing you are, I was obviously given birth to some of the, the greatest footballers, um, <laughs> yeah. certainly of the last decade. Uh, yeah, I love, last, uh, century. a lot of my friends know Gaza. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So particularly like I've got a, a, lot, a lot of friends who were older than me that were cycled together and they, they went to school with Gaza and he's just, he's hilarious. He, he's phoned me a couple of times actually back in, in my sprinting days because oh, he, really? he, he was going to, um, he was going to sponsor us at one point uh, oh, when I was like fastest in the Northeast and he is like, he's just one of those like natural funny guys. He's just like, he yeah. had me in stitches, you know, he's just, he's just so funny as a person. Um, for, so for those who don't know, because we do have a, a few American listeners, so oh. Gazza, as we sort of affectionately call him, is uh, he's a, a footballer from from Newcastle, and um, he he certainly embodies the sort of Geordie prankster um, yeah. humour. Um, sadly, um, he's he's had a few uh, substance abuse issues. Yeah. Um, he was probably the greatest footballer of his generation, English footballer. And when we say footballer, of course, we mean soccer for you, for you heathens. Um, but we will always call it football because that's what it is. Um, and I do not doubt that he's dyslexic. I, he must have something. Him and Paul Merson, for me, the way they speak, the way they structure sentences, mm-hmm. there's there's something about and and then being the class clown as well. You know that that very male thing of like I'm not learning like everybody else is. I don't feel right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna disrupt. You know, I'm going to be the, the joker in the class. Yeah, and that was partly me as well. You know, I was, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say like the, the joker, but I, I wanted to be the big personality. Um, yeah. And, you know, particularly creating this business and seeing so many different people, you know, use that sort of character within their school to think, you know, was this me being an individual or is this me playing out, you know, yeah. something that is 
very common within dyslexics, you know. Ross, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. That was um, that was so great. Um, so many beautiful things in there. I'm really excited for people to, to hear this. Um, so thank you. Thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, and thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude Monk McGowan. My guest today was CEO of Recite.me, Ross Lynette. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please go rate and subscribe. Leave us a little review if you can. Thank you.